Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Abby Carcio. And I'm your other host, Sydney Cummings. And from wherever you're listening, welcome to Megged, a women's soccer podcast where we talk about anything and everything related to the women's professional sport. These are our unsolicited football opinions. You didn't ask for them, but we're going to give them. And who knows? Maybe you'll agree. Maybe you'll disagree. But that's the beauty of the game and what's kept us friends for so long. This episode, we'll be recapping the first nine matches of the Women's World Cup. Move your feet. This is Megged. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Meg. So excited to be doing this because the World Cup has officially started. Woohoo! And we are nine games in. As we're filming this, Sweden and South Africa haven't played yet. So every game before that has already um, taken place. So we are going to talk about all of those games today. But first, Abby, how are you? I'm excellent, Sid. I feel like I've done nothing the last three days but watch football, and that's like the most blissful existence I could imagine. So I'm excellent. Yeah, but tell me your honest opinion, because I don't know if this is because I'm on the West Coast as opposed to the East Coast, but this time difference with games is way worse than I thought it was going to be. I'm following my strategy of recording and then getting up to watch the games without looking at any social media. And so it's actually been quite pleasant for me because it's exciting. I get up, go downstairs, pick the game I want to watch, and then I watch it. So it's not too bad for me simply because I've recorded all of them, but I can understand why, especially for younger kids. Um, yeah, I understand how it might be difficult for them to watch these games. Yeah, I feel like I really enjoy watching games live. I don't know why. There's no difference between doing what you do and and watching it live truly, except the fact that like social media or whatever, but I'm not really on my phone much during games anyway, but I don't know. There's just something about it, like actually knowing it's happening right now. And most of the games are at like 3 a.m. or 5 a.m. or so it's, it's been difficult. I've only been able to watch two games live, um, but have been obviously able to recap through the Fox app, which has been pretty good. And I have to say, opening nine games, World Cup is not disappointing. But let's start with some news first. So two things, they're both related to the Matildas, but just so good for women's football. Nike has confirmed that the Matildas have sold more official jerseys than men during and since their time at the Qatar World Cup. And I think it's important to note that that's not exclusive to Australia. So like I have a Matildas jersey. So it really just goes to show that People support the women's game. And then we also see that because the Matilda's opener sold out record. It was about 76,000 people. That is insane. I love to see that for them. What can I say, Sid? I've been saying it since this podcast started and probably since I was coming out of the womb. Invest in women's football and you will see the profit margins that you want. Yeah, I feel like we're definitely seeing that. Australia is like a soccer a soccer country. Um, and so I feel like it's giving really good visibility. On the flip side, though, we do want to keep everybody updated with what we're able to find in terms of player status and injury. And sadly for the Matildas, Sam Kerr, calf strain is out. She's apparently going to be reassessed after the next game, but that's a big blow 
she's the best nine in the world. And not for nothing, I really do think that they have built a lot of their attack around her. Um, so this is obviously going to be a big deal. They were able to win their first game. But, you know, is this a completely different Australian squad, Abby, with Sam Kerr out? A hundred percent. And I guess it was a bit naive of me. I didn't even, it didn't really cross my mind thinking that, oh, potentially Aussie star and basically the person who Australia has built their team around might not be available for a game. It didn't really cross my mind. And so it was interesting to see how Australia adapted. And I guess I'm excited to break that down as we get into the games. Yeah. And also just like gutted, like that sucks. Like the world cup is in your home country and you get an injury the day before the opener, like blows. So hoping it's, it's quick and and we get to see her play soon. And then the other news, which is important because we just talked about them in our last group stage analysis is Germany. So Oberdorf and Hegering are out for Germany. Abby, they were on your list of players. Tell me your thoughts here. I think if they're going to miss any matches, these are the ones to miss. As we talked about, I think Germany has probably the easiest group. But I want to see the best players on the pitch at all time during this tournament. And to miss these two, especially Oberdorf for me, is one of the best players in the world at this time. It's really disappointing, but they'll be back. I I don't have a doubt about that. And I'm excited to see how Germany adapts in this group stage without them. Definitely something to look forward to. And like you mentioned, their opening game is against Morocco. So probably not the worst game for them to not be available for. So that's just a little bit of news that we have so far. But honestly, Abby, I'm so excited to get to the meat of this episode. So we're going to go through and we're going to talk about a little recap of each game. Some games we'll talk about more in-depthly than others. But this is it, Abs. Full on. Nine games. So excited. Let's get started. So the first World Cup match of 2023 was New Zealand in Norway. This was such a good first match because, hello, let's kick off the tournament with an upset. New Zealand beats Norway 1-0. And coming into this all time, Norway was leading their head-to-head with five wins. They had one draw and one loss. So Norway, I mean, previously had done very well against New Zealand. And prior to this, New Zealand was 0-3-12 when it came to World Cup matches. So this is their first World Cup win. And to do it as a host nation, oh my God, watching that game, it was electric. I feel like my heart is torn in two. First of all, I have Norway topping this group. Um, so it was disappointing to see them drop points early. But I was so thrilled for New Zealand, like you said, a host nation, really electrified by the fans, I believe. But they just had this buzzing energy from minute one to minute 90. And, and it was great to watch. I think it was an excellent opening match for them as a country and for women's football as a whole. Abby and I used to say when we were in college, when we would play in some games, we would say like, we're going balls to the walls, which basically just meant like you give it a hundred percent, everything you have, like don't let up. And that's exactly how New Zealand played. Like they were balls to the walls. Their pressure was insane. Like Norway literally could not breathe. Even when sometimes they sat back because Norway, let's say, had a bout of possession and they they sat back in kind of like a mid block. The moment that mid block got broken, they were on them 
so fast, so fast. And I'm not talking like, oh, good one, just good 1v1 defending. Like they were getting double team, triple teamed. Like I I was so impressed by the grit that they showed and how they like they just had so much fight. And like you said, I really do think a big part of that, like they were fueled by the fans. Every time they won the ball, it, it was so loud. I could only imagine what it was actually like in the stadium. Yeah, it was a a fun one to watch. And you talk about the defensive side of things. On the offensive side, they they score this wonderfully composed goal off a transition. I love to see that as one of these underdog teams put the ball in the back of the net like nobody's business. They're here to play and they're here to get out of this group. And I'm excited to see how they progress throughout this group stage. The one thing that I will say, though, like the biggest con for me so far and we're just here being critical. I thought the New Zealand keeper Essen was a bit shaky for me. Obviously they got the shutout, which is no small feat, but I felt like in the first 20 minutes, there were about three plays that were more dangerous than they needed to be. And again, that could just be jitters. I can only imagine what it's like playing at that stage, but I do feel like if they're going to make a play to get out of this group, they're going to have really close games. And so I feel like they really need to like be sure defensively about, you know, when she's coming out of the box, if she's coming to collect. And a lot of that too, sometimes you just need your teammates to bail you out. Like it's inevitable. You make a mistake as a defender, as a goalkeeper, sometimes it leads to a goal. And and that's just the the burden of that position. So I do feel like it's really important that they stay connected moving forward. But Abby, tell me, tell me some of your thoughts about Norway. Yeah, like I said in the beginning, I I was hugely disappointed by this squad. I think they have the best front five in this tournament. And for them to get blanked and not score a goal is concerning for me. It's almost as if they're all playing as individuals, which is one of my fears in our group breakdowns. But yeah, now it's coming to fruition. I hope they can sort it out because it's it's such a waste of talent and a waste of a solid team, um, in my opinion. And yeah, I'm hoping they figure it out by the end of this group stage. And if not, my bracket's going to be destroyed. Yeah, also important to note, you're right, they did get shut out, but New Zealand also missed a PK. So this game could have been a 2-0 scoreline. And it's not because Norway didn't have opportunities. I just felt like they they didn't put them away. And like you said, you're, you have such a dangerous front line. And if you're not putting away your chances, this is what happens. You lose games. You drop points. I also felt like watching them play, they had no outlet. Like they could not play out of the back. And they were struggling so hard to connect their passes. So, you know, you're talking about a dangerous front five, but I felt like they didn't, they weren't on the ball enough. Like their, their teammates couldn't get them the ball. Yeah, sure. When you have Ada Hegelberg up there, it's an easy route to just kind of find your nine. But they have playmakers. They have Monum in there. And I, I agree with you. They didn't find her enough. But like I said before, I don't think they were clicking. I don't think the chemistry was was quite there. It could have been the nerves. I don't know. We'll see in the next match and we'll compare our notes. Yeah, they were very open about the the disappointment in their play. So definitely looking forward to see the next the next game for them in that group. But that's it. New Zealand, Norway, 1-0 for New Zealand. Moving on to Australia and Ireland, our other host nation. So this was also a 1-0 scoreline for the host nation. And like we mentioned earlier, they did that without Sam Kerr. For me, Sid, this was even more electric than the New Zealand-Norway game. I love the energy from both sides in this match throughout the 90 minutes. This was a much more physical game than tactical or technical. 
I don't know if that's a result of it being Republic of Ireland, who's notorious for being physical, or if it's just because of the nerves and making sure you stick in in your tackles. But I thought the physicality was great and it really had a great vibe. Yeah, this was such a physical game. And I feel like it's because a lot of the individuals on each team are super physical. Like we talked about Katie McCabe. She's not backing down from anything, but neither is Katrina Gorey. And those two kind of went at it at one point in the game. So I feel like it's a lot on the reflection of the pride that these players feel when they put on um, their jersey and they represent their nation. But it made it so fun and so entertaining to watch. Um, but the one thing that I'm like, Ooh, I don't love this for Australia. Uh, okay. A goal is a goal. A PK is a goal to, to get it, to convert it. And um, we we have to talk about PKs if we're talking about these opening nine matches because they've been everywhere, but I'm nervous about the fact that they couldn't put their opportunities away. I'm nervous for Australia. Like, not that I think this game should have been a blowout by any means. Ireland had fantastic opportunities, but I feel like they should have been able to at least convert in the run of play. It's not surprising to me. I think they've practiced this entire time knowing that Sam Kerr was going to be their their goal scorer and she's not in. And so for them to get any points in this game was good enough, in my opinion. Um, I, I agree with you. They they didn't they didn't solve the type of shape that Republic of Ireland were in. I felt like Ireland was very, very compact and taking up that 18-yard box perfectly and so the space would be out wide but I don't think that Australia did a good enough job executing that wide ball and then the service inside just wasn't there I felt like they were forcing these crosses in in front of the back line whereas I think they needed to drive end line and cut back in behind that back line yeah which I feel like is something that we'll probably see in their next game um because I feel like this team is still okay with Sam Kerr Obviously, I know that they've they've built a lot around her, but I just feel like they have so much quality still in, in the front line, like Mary Fowler, Caitlin Ford, Courtney Vine. Like, I just feel like they still have a lot of speed. They still have people that can whip balls in. I don't think anybody, I think Ford is, but I don't think anybody is as clinical as Kerr. And so I think that might be where an issue lies for them. But I feel like this team still has a ton of momentum. And I mean, I'm sorry, but if every game is going to have that kind of electricity when when they're on the pitch, good luck to who's playing them, because holy cow, is that intimidating. Sid, you mentioned the PK, Steph Catley burying that winning player of the match. In my opinion, player of the match should have gone to Gory for Australia. She was all over the map. She connected the pitch brilliantly for me. She she was receiving from the back line, connecting to the forwards. I thought she really held it together for Australia throughout the match. Yeah, I have no issue in saying that I think Katrina Gorey is probably one of, if not the best player that I've ever played against. Um, she is, they talk about a quarterback for a midfielder. She is legit the quarterback of every team she plays for. She pulls strings so well and in her vision and the way she's able to connect passes, I think is so underrated and so incredibly impressive. That being said, based off of how other games have gone with penalty kicks, there's been about one penalty kick in pretty much every single game. Based off of the rate that those are not being converted, I feel like you have to give Steph Catley a little bit more credit 
for being able to do that in front of about 76,000 people and bury it like that. Like to have that confidence and step up when I don't know if she was the original PK taker, like would that have been Sam Kerr if she was on the pitch? Like who knows? But I definitely feel like it was such an impressive PK, but I 100% agree with you. I don't think player of the match should just go to whoever scores. I don't know, Sid. I'm a bit more critical on this one and cynical. Uh, I think it's their job to finish those PKs. I think we should we shouldn't be celebrating Seth Catley as like, oh my gosh, she scored like that's so impressive. Like in my opinion, that's her job. I think the other ones that didn't score their PKs, some of them were saved, but those that didn't finish, they're not doing their job. They need to raise their level. So that that's kind of my that's harsh, but that's my opinion on that stuff. No, it's not harsh. I agree with you, but I feel like because people are not converting it's making me give a little bit more credit to those who are. If I'm their coach, I'm I'm making them run sprints for not finishing those on the world stage. That's, that's the game. That's, that's what you're working for. And, and for me, that needs to be a finish every time. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you, Abs, and I, and I do think that's important. But another thing I think is actually probably more important to note is then how Ireland came back energy-wise, tactically, technically in that game. Yeah, I'm I'm like getting fired up and getting behind them. I'm I'm a fan of Republic of Ireland after seeing that game. You know, when they played the US, it was great to see them, but you know, everyone gets up for a USA game. To see them on the world stage perform in the same fashion was really encouraging and, and fun for me to watch. I thought Katie McCabe did a great job of bringing her tenacity and her physicality in. And honestly, the Republic of Ireland dominated the last 20 minutes of play in this match. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see how far their spirit and like their it's hard to play against a team like Ireland. It is. And I think it'll be interesting to see if that can carry them a little bit further in this group, because I have to say, based off of the other game that we're going to talk about right now, not super impressed with the other two teams. And I feel like if Ireland brings that, I know you said it with Katie McCabe, but if the whole team can bring that tenacity I, we might have an underdog coming out of this group. So that's Australia and Ireland, one nothing Australia. The other two teams in this group also played. So that was Nigeria and Canada, and they blanked. Abby and I spoke about this game before we started recording. I was able to watch the first half of this live. Um, Abby had to shut it off. So Abs, why don't you tell me your thoughts? Yeah, my homies on Nigeria national team, I'm sorry if you're listening to this, but I just, there are two reasons. The first, frustrating, out of my mind, the camera that was being used to film this game, the positioning was almost as if it was an a college game. Uh, it wasn't a good level camera. I couldn't really see the ball. Yeah, it seemed unprofessional to me, so that was frustrating in its own right. But also, I didn't think that this game had rhythm at all. Yes, it was physical. Yes, there are nerves. But at some point, I needed to see one of these teams put the ball down and play. And yeah, not seeing that made me want to turn this game off. Yeah, I felt like this game was super choppy. Um, and it wasn't necessarily because, I mean, there were a lot of resets. There were a lot of fouls. But I also just felt like it was super choppy because they both lost a lot of possession. But the the two big takeaways for me, one for each team, Nigeria looked good. I thought that they were able to play to their strengths. They were able to use their pace. They were able to disrupt Canada's play. 
they were able to force some incredible saves from Kalen Sheridan, but like they made it difficult. Like they easily could have scored in that game. And I felt like, honestly, they probably deserved one on the flip side. This is something that we talked about with Canada based off of how they played in the Olympics. They need to put the ball in the back of the net. Like genuinely, I was getting aggravated watching all their missed opportunities in the first half. If you want to dominate, if you want to make it out of your group, you cannot be blanking nil-nil. Yeah, if Canada has the intention of going deep in this tournament, they need to be scoring goals. They need to figure out what their identity is. That's what I was missing. We know what Nigeria's identity is. They're looking to create chaos and to play into that chaos. Canada needs to figure out what they're going to do. I mean, they do have Christine Sinclair in there. Is she your go-to? Is Julia Grosso? Are we playing with pace? I don't know what Canada's MO is. I would like to see them develop that as the games go on. But yeah, again, we have a stalwart of Canada missing a PK in a major match that could send them out early in a group stage. I don't know. Going back to the drawing board on that one, Sid. No, definitely. And this is what I was talking about in terms of the PKs. Like, it matters. That's that's a one nil win. You know what I mean? But for me, I will say the two MVPs for each side, Lawrence was the MVP for me for Canada. I thought she did an amazing job attacking the flank defensively 1v1. I thought she she was incredible. And then for Nigeria, it was their goalkeeper, Nandozi. I thought she played incredible. And I think it's important to note, like, Sinclair didn't miss. It got saved. And and she did that, and I and I thought she really kept Nigeria in that game, and um, that can really pay dividends for them later on. So th- they're my MVPs for each. So that is Nigeria and Canada zero zero draw. The next game we're going to cover is Philippines versus Switzerland. So Switzerland won that game two nothing, and my gut instinct first thought on this is this had the potential to be a completely different game. The Philippines scored, but it got called offside. If that never got called offside, I think this is a completely different game. I also think the PK that gave them the one goal lead was so lame. It was so stupid to be called as a PK. As a defender, she's clearing the ball out of the box. The attacking player goes to ground behind her and ends up getting the ball as she's clearing it. Like, to me, I feel like if, if you're behind me as the defender, as I'm clearing the ball and you go to ground to slide behind me, you're you're impeding me. I'm not impeding you. You're behind me and you're not even facing the goal you're scoring at. I thought that was such a lame decision. I, I hated that call as a defender. I mean, I would agree with you on that, Sid. I think it was clear. You could see it in the video what went wrong. But not for nothing, Bachman put her PK in the back of the net, and that's what you need to do. When a referee's decision doesn't go your way, or it goes your way, you need to make the best of it. And she did, and set them on a path to win this match. Yeah, and I feel like things started to fall apart for the Philippines after after the combination of those two things. Having your goal called offside and getting a PK scored on you, that's like kind of a BS call. I feel like things started to unravel a bit. I felt like defensively they they ended up losing their shape too much and Switzerland was able to combine. However, they had so many opportunities that they should have put in the back of the net. Switzerland had so many opportunities that they should have put in the back of the net. And so I feel like this is a reoccurring theme and maybe it's just like, you know, first round jitters, first game jitters. But I'm sorry, if teams want to... Goal differential matters. And so if teams really want to get out of this group, I feel like they 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 need to just do more. Yeah, easier, easier said from 
behind our computers, but I agree with you. This is the world stage. you got to make the best of, of the time you have on the pitch. But one player I think that's already in form and has a lot of confidence is Bachman for Switzerland. I think if the team rallies behind that confidence, they have a chance of getting out of this group, especially with this win in the first game. Yeah, I definitely think they should have a lot of confidence. Like you said, it's easy for us to critique behind a computer screen. It's so different when you're on the pitch. That being said, a win is a win. I just feel like we've we've talked about peaking, right? Like you want to be on an upward trajectory. And I just feel like they had more potential in this game because a lot of things went their way. And so I felt like they had more potential, but I thought the Philippines played really well. So um, I, I, I definitely still think this is going to be an exciting group to watch. I mean, all these groups have done so well. So that's Philippines and Switzerland, two nothing to Switzerland. The next game is Spain versus Costa Rica, which Spain took away with a three nil win. There was a lot of criticism about the amount of opportunities that Spain generated versus the lack of goals for those opportunities. And I have to say, I'm okay with that because I feel like a different day, those those go in, right? You, you have one that hits off the crossbar. You have one that a keeper barely gets her fingertips to. like Stuff like that will change any given day. So I, I think that that's, that scoreline could change You know, if that game was played on a Tuesday as opposed to a Monday. What I'm not okay with is missing a penalty. Like you said, Abs, like that's your job. That can completely change a game. It can completely help you. And if you're if you're gonna be one of the best teams, if you're gonna win this World Cup, that's that's like taking taking candy from a baby or whatever the saying is. Like that is a no-brainer. You should be scoring a PK every time you get awarded one. Honestly, watching this game. It felt like Spain was just toying with Costa Rica. It felt like Spain was running a clinic and Costa Rica was kind of just the team they brought in to demonstrate things. That's my opinion. I felt Spain was playing with this ease and confidence about them that I don't think they really cared if they missed those chances or even if they missed the PK. They were like, yeah, we got this in the bag. We're going to play our style of football and we're going to advance to the next round. Yeah, I think that's good and well, but I just feel like if you have that mentality all throughout and then things don't go your way, then that's when things start to get dicey. But I agree with you. I think they they don't care because they did generate a lot of those opportunities. And like I said, tomorrow those might go in, right? And if you can apply that kind of pressure, another team, it, like you just can't breathe if you're Costa Rica. So I definitely think that Spain did their job. Um, I think for Costa Rica, this was always going to be a hard game. Um, and I feel like they have to kind of just like stay compact and regroup in terms of what their goal is and what they want coming out of this tournament. Um, but this was always going to be their hardest game for sure. Yeah, listen, we're not seeing a 13-0 scoreline uh, just yet in this tournament, but it's great for Costa Rica to come in and, and hold Spain, one of the best, one of the contenders for this tournament, to a 3-0 scoreline. That's, that's quite good in my opinion. I just think that Spain's front five and honestly all of their players in possession were the most fluid and I would say the most cohesive that I've seen so far yeah Spain definitely has come to play so that is Spain versus Costa Rica three nothing to Spain another three no scoreline was United States versus Vietnam that was three nothing towards the U.S. I feel like I'm going to be pretty critical of the U.S. right now but I do want to say Sophia Smith job well done I also want to say a win is a win. So, you know, keep that in mind as I say all this. But the biggest issue for me with the U.S., their lack of chemistry, which we talked about in their group breakdown. The moment Rose Lavelle came on the pitch, 
it was completely different because she has chemistry with Lindsay and she has chemistry with the front line. And I just felt like she completely changed the game. There was no chemistry before that. And the second thing, which is a bigger issue to me, the turnover rate from the U.S. is way too high. They're retaining possession and they're just kicking it away. They're they're dribbling and taking on three people and losing the ball. Put the, put the ball on the floor, knock the knock the ball, paint the field with the ball, and generate opportunities. Like I, I just felt like it was ugly. Like it was just ugly from from the U.S. Yeah, I agree. I think we've always talked about as players getting back to the basics is, is what you need to do in these situations. And like you said, they weren't doing the basics well enough. I think the biggest surprise for me about this game was the lineup. Like I said before in our group breakdown, Vlaco's going to throw every surprise at us. And he stayed in line with that because we saw DeMello in this lineup. She has what one cap and is playing in her first tournament. What do you have to say about that? Sid? Yeah, I mean, I think if there was a game to do it, it was probably this one to see, you know, how she was chemistry-wise. Rose Lavelle's minutes were being monitored, so you knew she wasn't going to play a full 90. Um, I don't think she played poorly. I actually think she did pretty well. I think a lot of things aren't her fault. There's a lack of chemistry in the midfield, and inevitably she's going to be victim to that because, like you said, it was her second cap. So I, I think she played well, all things considered, but I, I feel like there's a bigger issue at hand in terms of the chemistry for the entire team. Good for her, honestly. She is taking on a huge load and doing well. But the other big surprise was seeing Julie Ertz at center back. I was very excited. I'm about it. Keep it. I love it. I feel like Julie Ertz brings such a dynamic piece to the game. That being said, I'm not the biggest fan of Andy Sullivan at the six. I feel like she ends up in no man's land a lot of time. Um, and I actually feel like her turnover rate is relatively high for a six. Um, and so I feel like it's like a rock and a hard place. Like, do you put Julie at the six? Do you put her at center back? Either way, I feel like she is beneficial. She just needs to be on the pitch. And I definitely am very happy as a fan that she's back in, in this squad. Overall, not a terrible result for the United States. They need to improve if they want to win this tournament. Yeah, and one thing I will say about Vietnam is, is I think they did really well. They sat in, they made it difficult, they defended their 18 as well as they possibly could, um, and, and they constantly got numbers b- behind the ball. So uh, they said on on the broadcast that Vietnam's goal is to score one goal in this tournament, um, and I feel like they might have the potential to do that. So I'm looking forward to seeing if, the, if they're able to find a way to do that. Um, but that tactic is going to have to be their tactic for the other teams in this group as well, because the Netherlands team and the Portugal team, like <laughs> you really, you don't, you, there's no drop off between all three squads. So we'll definitely be interested to see how the rest of that group pans out. That was United States versus Vietnam, three, nothing for the United States. Our biggest scoreline was Zambia versus Japan, 5-0 Japan. Multiple goals were called offside, so that had the potential to actually be a 7-0 win. Um, But holy mackerel, Japan came to play. And what I want to say is finish. I feel like of all of these teams that we've discussed and will discuss, that's the one thing Japan did better than the rest. If a ball, if, if June Endo whipped in a ball in the back line, someone was getting a touch on it because that's all you need, a pinky toe. And I, I just felt like they're finishing. It wasn't always the most beautiful goal, but I just felt like they were so clinical in that in that game. 
I want to start off by saying that I, I was a bit disappointed with Zambia defensively. I thought that they weren't organized throughout the match, and I thought they left a lot of space for Japan to exploit. And yeah, Japan ran a clinic on how to exploit space in a disorganized back line. That's how they scored five goals. Yeah, 100%. The space between each defender was way too big. Forget about the space between the lines. The space between the fullback and the center back was massive. And literally all Japan was doing was occupying, the nine was occupying a center back, pulling them out, dragging them out, creating a bigger space for another another player to just run through. Um, and I feel like Zambia got a bit demoralized. Like obviously it's a bit hard on that stage and you're getting scored on consistently. Um, but I just feel like that needs to be better. And you know that they have the potential to be better. You know that they can do it, not even potential. They can do it. They're better than what they showed. So I think that that needs to be a wake-up call for them, that they need to come to play. You don't get days off in the World Cup at all. Every game is hard. And I think Japan needs to continue on this trajectory. Honestly, I didn't expect too much from the Japanese team, but it seemed like they were playing with this great spirit and confidence and i'm excited to see how that transcends throughout the rest of the group stage for them that's zambia versus japan five nil for japan the next game is england versus haiti which was a one nil scoreline for england i was a bit disappointed with england in this game and i was very proud of haiti during this game I felt like England's main thing, they need to get the ball away from the keeper. I was literally getting so annoyed watching the amount of opportunities that they had where literally they shot it directly at the keeper. I wanted to scream. Haiti on the flip side, I felt like played so well. Their counters were so good that they generated some real opportunities where genuinely Mary Earps had to stand on her head twice. I'm going to say it right now, Sid. Dumornay from the Haitian team is going to be player of the world, player of the year, in a few years' time. She put on a masterclass of how to beat four defenders if you need to get out of a small space. It, it was a joy to watch her, especially in the transition play like you mentioned. But yeah, on the flip side, England looked shaky. England was giving the ball away. There were so many unforced errors, and I don't think Serena Wegman would be happy with her squad. Yeah, I felt like they were a bit arrogant. Like, I felt like they thought maybe going into that game, oh, you know, like, we have this one. And I felt like they got stretched way too much, which is was good for Haiti because that helped them with their counters. But I just felt like they were so susceptible. Like, literally, I felt like at, at some points they had four players behind the ball and Haiti still found a way to get a legitimate shot off, like weaving in and out. And, and I'm sorry, but if you want to compete, if you want to win, that can't happen. I felt like they were missing Leah Williamson. Did you feel that way? Yeah, I mean, you have this partnership between Millie Bright and Jess Carter that is in its infancy. They haven't really played together. Millie Bright has been injured for the past four months. And so we saw that for the first time. And clearly there were some communication errors between the two of them that opened up the space for Haiti. Yeah, of course you're going to miss Leah Williamson. Of course you're going to miss Beth Mead in this tournament. But you need to find a way to shore up those holes very quickly. For sure. And also, I think important to note, England's goal was a PK that had to get retaken because the Haitian goalkeeper was called for encroachment. So, you know, we, we talked about bearing PKs. First one was not. Second one was converted, but they didn't score in the run of play. And to me, that's an issue. 
going forward, I think Haiti needs to come with the same energy to their next game. I think they'll get a win if they perform the same way. For England, I have two comments. The first, shore up the back line. You can't be caught out on transition. And the other thing, I think they need to utilize their substitutes earlier. You saw Lauren James and Rachel Daly come in, but they only had about 15 minutes to try and make an impact. And I don't think that's enough time for both of them to get into the game. That's England versus Haiti. one nothing for England. The last game we're going to cover is honestly a big one that we talked about in our in our group stage breakdown, Denmark versus China. So that ended up being a 1-0 win for Denmark. And I do want to say China had a good amount of chances. They just couldn't convert. And I feel like this, this game might come back to bite them in the butt. Yeah, we, we saw China come out in kind of how we expected. They were very organized. And technically, I felt like they were making those triangles all over the pitch, which was excellent to see. But Denmark found that late game winner. And I couldn't help but smile to see the elation on their faces when they got the three points from this game. Yeah, and I feel like it highlighted for other teams China's biggest weakness. It's defending set pieces, for sure. I mean, don't get me wrong, that goal was delectable. But to be able to get a free header like that, that far outside from from the goal and be able to put it in, granted there was some traffic in front of the keeper, but still, like there's just a height difference. There's a physicality difference. Um, whereas I thought China probably did a better job when the ball was actually on the floor and they were possessing and they were able to generate a lot of opportunities and get great crosses in. But at the end of the day, 90th minute, Denmark put the ball in the back of the net. And, you know, we're talking about solidifying PKs and and things that you need to do in order to move on, not giving up a goal in the last minute. You can't do that. Yeah. Closing out games is going to be crucial in this group stage, especially when the other teams in your group are England and Haiti. So we'll see how this one shakes down, but I don't know. We'll we'll see if it comes back to bite them. I I think that might've done them in this, this round. That's Denmark versus China, one nothing for Denmark. So the next game that's coming up is Sweden versus South Africa. Um, we'll probably talk about that in our, our next episode to recap those games. But overall, I just have three notes to say quickly uh, about these games. One, so impressed with goalkeepers so far. I mean, the Haiti goalkeeper, the England goalkeeper, the Nigeria goalkeeper, even the Vietnam goalkeeper, I feel like keepers are putting on a clinic so far in this tournament. They're phenomenal. I'm very impressed. Other thing I want to say is penalty kicks. Penalty kicks, penalty kicks, penalty kicks. Holy cow. If you're going to get a PK, convert it. Like Abby said, I, I just feel like it's it's your job. Like it's it's hard. Don't get me wrong, but it it's mentally. It's not physically hard. And I feel like the conversion rate on PKs needs to be much higher. The other thing I just want to make note of is of all these games, there hasn't been one game where both teams have scored. And I just... I don't know. That's just interesting to me. Um, but I feel like it kind of goes to show how the trajectory of this tournament ha- has been going so far, just in terms of the importance of being able to put a goal in the back of the net. Sid, overall, those are great points. The one thing that I'll say is these score lines and the tightness of those score lines prove to me that anyone can beat anyone in this tournament. I'm excited to see how that breaks down with the remaining teams in this group stage. Yeah, I'd be definitely excited to to keep talking about this and just keep watching beautiful football. 
That being said, we are not going to do hot takes um, during these episodes just because we're recapping so much. Um, we just felt like it probably made more sense to give more of an analysis than go to hot takes. So hot takes is taking a bit of a hiatus, but that's okay because Abby has picked her top games to watch for the next World Cup matches. So Abs, what are your games to watch? Yeah, a lot of good ones on the table, but I'm looking at Wednesday the 26th. I have two games lined up for you. The first one's going to be Canada versus Ireland. I think this is a crucial, crucial matchup for Ireland if they have the intention of getting out of their group. If they come in with the same tenacity that they played their first match with, I think they can take three points. The other game, of course, has to be USA versus Netherlands, a rematch from the 2019 final of the Women's World Cup. So it's going to be great to see those two very different teams than four years ago, but I think a great matchup nonetheless. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to email us at meggedpodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at meggedpodcast. We hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Please rate us and leave reviews on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Join us next week as we tackle new topics, fight over our different perspectives, and as always, our hot takes. See you next week on Megged.